We're going to be moving into part three, part three of our lesson today. Um, it's the shepherd, yeah, the shepherd. It's the blue portion of your handout. Part three, the shepherd and his knowledge. <clears throat> When I graduated from high school, I knew that it would be important for me to find steady work over the next few months to help pay for college and to buy a car. It wasn't much longer than a week after my graduation ceremony that I would start work at my uncle's florist shop in East Cleveland. Gaines and Gaines Florist. Oh my goodness, yeah, oh. <laughs> this was my first real job. I had no clue what to expect or how to do anything. So I had to be taught everything from the ground up, including the importance of cleaning the shop and the floral containers that held the flowers. The containers had to be washed with a mild cleaning solution to make sure that fresh flowers using those containers would not go bad right away. In addition, I had to learn how to take phone orders, speak to customers about flower orders, and even make floral deliveries. Some things I picked up on my own rather quickly, while others required some mentoring and instruction from my uncles, Tyrone and Larry. Both took classes on floral design and learned the business from the ground up, and both of them provided valuable information as to how the business was to be run. I learned all about running a florist shop and even had crash courses in design from Larry. I was a decent designer. Right on. But right on. <laughs> but you also had to remember not to eat into profits by using too many flowers with your supplies or within the designs. For me to grow and be successful, my uncles had to devote some of their time to shepherd me along and share their knowledge of the business. It was a great life experience for me, and many of the things that I learned I have not forgotten. I could probably work for a florist shop today with what I learned, and that was over 40 years ago. Perhaps you have had someone in your past that has looked after you and helped you to be a person that you are today, and it's certainly okay if that wasn't a parent. Sometimes we connect with others who fulfill this role as mentor based upon Guess what? Your personality type. Take some time right now to jot down or note who these people are in your life. Who do you remember as a role model or mentor in your life? And feel free to jot down those names and share them if you'd like. Who was a role model or mentor in your life? And some of you are actually writing names down. That's great. Now, it's important for you to write those names down and recall these individuals because we need to understand that those people were placed in your life for a reason. They weren't there just as a random occurrence or a random circumstance. When looking to Jesus Christ, a relationship development begins with familiarity a regular communication with him 
and progresses with guidance in being a shepherd. So you got communication, and you're fully calling Jesus a shepherd, providing godly wisdom and knowledge to live effectively for him. Jesus is our loving shepherd that provides us godly wisdom and knowledge for life. So Jesus, in one of his I am declarations in the passage of John chapter 10, verses 1 through 18, refers to himself as the good shepherd. Mm -hmm. The Hebrew name for shepherd is Yahweh-Rohi. Yahweh-Rohi. Everybody say that with me. Yahweh-Rohi. The scriptural instruct introduction to God as a shepherd came from David in Psalm 23. Psalm 23.1. For those of you who were with us in Sunday school the last couple of weeks, guess what we talked about? Psalm 23. Because that's the introduction to God being a shepherd in scripture. Where he, David revealed that his relationship as a shepherd to his sheep was much like the relationship that God had with him. Thus the declaration that Yahweh Rohi is my shepherd, I shall not want. Amen? Amen. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Now I'm reading from the CSB version, and I'm going to explain why. Typically you hear the words, I shall not want. The actual wording for that is, I have what I need. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. That's what we need to understand. I shall not want doesn't really speak. That's why we need sometimes to look at it a little bit more deeply. You have what you need. God gives you what you need to be able to do what you do. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, of course we know the darkest valley, the valley of the shadow of death, the darkest valley is the darkest valley. Okay? When you're going through a place that's very dark and there ain't no light, that's not a good thing. But even, even through that, what does he do? I fear no danger because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Or in this passage it says, as long as I live. Because he gives you life here. And guess what? He gives you life eternally. Okay. Did you read in the NIV it says, I lack nothing? I did not read that, but I read that in my research. I lack nothing. That's right. We need to understand what that refers to. You're not in need of anything. You already have what you need. Very good. Okay. And many of you memorized Psalm 23, I can tell, because I saw some of you mouthing it as it was going along. The passage in John chapter 10 that refers to Jesus as the good shepherd is verses 1 through 18. I won't cover that whole passage. I did research and reviewed it through the ESV version. You're welcome to jot that down and look at that version. Um, but I'm not going to read all 18 of those verse, 19 verses. But 
I'll give you a summary of it. Basically, and that passage is entitled, I am the good shepherd. So it's a good reference point, obviously. Jesus speaks with authority in this passage as to what it means to be a shepherd and its responsibility in leadership. That's what a shepherd does. A shepherd leads. Is a leader. In summary of this passage, a leader is respected as the one who you listen to because you value what is being presented as helpful information. What did your mentors do for you? What did people that you responded to or looked up to, what did they do for you? They gave you what? Helpful information. That's what they do. Anyone who chooses not to follow the authority of the leader will find ways to get around him, and it often takes place with a desire to follow one's own way. That's why Jesus was saying he's the good shepherd. He was referring to those who are trying to jump the fence to get to the, the sheep and go around them and try to take the sheep out of there because there are people out there who will try to cut corners or do things that aren't right. Well, don't you be one of those people. Amen? Amen. And think of the ways you can cut corners. There's ways to cut corners. There's ways to do things that are out of order. Amen? Don't look at me too hard now, you know. As Jesus is our good shepherd, he is full of good advice and great counsel. He shows his care and concern for those who come under his headship and provides shelter and protection from those who merely seek to do harm. A shepherd not only cares for his sheep, but he protects them because they are valuable to him. You have a value that is already expressed in the fact that while we were sinners, Christ died for you. You have an unbelievable value to him. Do you think that way? Sometimes we don't really think of how important we are to Jesus Christ. You have a value. The sheep are so valuable that the shepherd would do everything necessary to keep them in his care and would even give of himself to make sure that it happens. That's what shepherds do. As a shepherd provides protection and care each day, he has to be actively looking at your life and seeing your circumstances. He is a God who sees it all. The name, the Hebrew name for this God of seeing is El-Rohi. Now, I've been mispronouncing it for a long time. I've been saying El-Roy like El-Roy in the Jetsons. So I've been saying it wrong, and no one ever corrected me. So I'm going to correct myself, since y'all just took my word for it. Meet George Jetson. El-Roy. El Roy. Everybody say that. El Roy. So it's not El Roy. Which was disappointing when I first saw that. So what's the pronunciation of the words before this? Which one? Oh, of the shepherd? Um, you gotta make me go back and look at my notes now. Yahweh Roy. So this is El Roy. Yeah. Not, a, not with an H sound. Okay. Good call there, just to point that out. Well done. God of Seen. This name was given by, who knows who gave this name? 
Hagar. Hagar, who was driven away from Abram's family by Sarah. <clears throat> the passage is in Genesis 6, 16, verses 1 through 15. Now, I will read this one because <clears throat> we need to see how this all came about and the conversation as to what was happening here. And understand that there's a story behind it that I want to elaborate on as we get done with this. Abram's, starting with verse 1, Genesis 16, I'm reading, um, Abram's wife, Sarai, had not borne any children for him, but she owned an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Sarai said to Abram, since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, now, now listen, this is something that, this is a big deal back then. A woman's fulfillment was in bearing children. It's a big deal. But we also need to understand the attitude behind this whole thing that took, took place here. Yeah, so... Uh, Basically said, since the Lord prevented me from bearing children, go to my slave. Perhaps through her I can build a family. And Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So Abram's wife, Sarai, took Hagar, her Egyptian slave, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as a wife for him. This happened after Abram had lived in the land of Canaan ten years. A lot of time has gone by. He slept with Hagar, and she became pregnant. When she realized that she was pregnant, she treated her mistress with contempt. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for my suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and ever since that she saw that she was pregnant, she has treated me with contempt. May the Lord judge between me and you. Abram replied to Sarai, Here, your slave is in your hands. Do whatever you want with her. Typical guy passing the buck off, right? Uh, <laughs> little commentary in there. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He really should have. Yeah. Well, we're we'll we'll going to get to that. You're already getting all highfalutin on me. All right, so... Your slave, here, your slave is in your hands. Do whatever you want with her. And Sarai mistreated her so much that she ran away from her. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. He said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, how he's dressed as her, pay attention to this. Where have you come from and where are you going? God is, knows exactly who she is and she knows her position in that family. Don't miss this. She replied, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. She told the truth. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, You must go back to your mistress and submit to her mistreatment. Yeah. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will greatly multiply your offspring, and they will be too many to count. So there's actually something there that Hagar doesn't realize but will realize as this conversation goes on. And the angel of the Lord said to her, You have conceived and will have a son. You will name him Ishmael. Ishmael's name came from God himself. For the Lord has heard your cry of affliction. This man will be like a wild donkey. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. He will live at odds with all his brothers. So she called for the Lord who spoke to her, the God who sees. 
For she said, in this place I have actually seen the one who sees me. That is why she named the spring a well of the living one who sees me. It is located between Kadesh and Barad. In verse 15, so Hagar gave birth to Abram's son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son Hagar had. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. Now, if you get too far down the road, we need to make it clear that there are all kinds of wrong going on here. Amen? Amen. All kinds of wrong. And it was clearly a matter of contention between Sarai and Hagar. Sin was going on with all the bickering and contemptuous behavior, but that does not, for a moment, mean that God endorsed these actions, because he didn't. But Abram was also complicit, this is where where Lane gets in, (laughs) in that he did not intervene between the two. But we are reminded that each of these people involved is in the flesh. God sees it all. He sees when you're doing the right stuff. He sees when you're doing the wrong stuff. He knows all about all the stuff that was going on. He knew it was going to happen. And it was used for a purpose. He sees your fleshliness as well as your godliness. And in his wisdom, he sees who we are. And he knows what we need and when we need it. Another great mystery, isn't it? So even in our contemptuous behavior, even in our sin, it was still being used. But look at the offspring. Ishmael the offspring. Father of what? The opposition of Israel. So in that you see exactly who that person is. Were you going to say something? Muslim nation. Yeah, the Muslim nation. We, we can attribute it to the Muslim nation. Okay? The theophany of the angel of the Lord meeting Hagar in the wilderness was God reaching out to Hagar in a moment when she needed to face the responsibility of what she was given. He reminded her of what she needed to do at a time when she was not willing to do it, for it was ultimately for her own good. And the angel told her that what she was doing was special because God would make this child one of many more to follow. Hagar had to acknowledge that God had seen her in a very remote place at a spring in the wilderness. He came to her as an angel, but also to a place where we see how God provided her a refreshing drink of water to sustain her. He was her shepherd. And he provided wisdom to her that prompted her to go back to Abram and Sarai and give birth to their child. So even in the moment when you're struggling and scuffling, God can still find it to refresh you and get you back on the right path. That should be very encouraging to you, especially as a child of God. God sees you where you are. He knows you very, very well. He's waiting for you to acknowledge your need for him and for you to seek him for godly wisdom and knowledge. Yes? I was 
that when you look at that whole situation with Hagar and Sarah and Abram, Sarah and Abram had rested in what God told them initially, which is, you're going to provide this child. That's right. But they just stayed there. We wouldn't have that whole interchange. That's exactly right. But because they got ahead of it, it's like all what you see from verses 1 through 6 basically is flesh. You all know, flesh. Well, okay, God's not doing this fast enough. We're going to have to fix this ourselves. This is how we're going to do it. Then when it all falls apart, everybody starts yelling at everybody else. Yep. You know, well, what's wrong? You know, you did this. And then, well, you know, you deal with the way you want to. I don't care. It's like everybody had just listened back when he said that. And you know God heard it because Sarah laughed. Yeah. And he tells her. That's right. You know, you laugh. And she said, I didn't laugh. You always know, yeah, and That's so right. He shows up again, but when he sh- he's always extending mercy. He could have wiped him out and said, "You know what? I told you guys That's right. what I was going to do, and you didn't listen." That's right. And That's right. He extended mercy to Hagar, who really was kind of a pawn in all of this. That's right. She didn't really have a whole big choice about it. No. She was a slave girl. So what was she going to do? Say, "No, I'm not gonna." Yeah. That's right. She had to come under that authority, though. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, that's what it came down to. Sometimes that stuff that we just read in that passage sounds like family. In some families. You get ahead of something, and then you have contention, and you have bickering, and you have fighting, and you just want to leave that house. <laughs> but that's exactly what we just read here. But even in the midst of that, all that wrong going on, God is still refreshed and blessed and had mercy. It's something for us to see. And how we go through our life. All right, guys. 11 o'clock, right on schedule. 20-minute break to allow for checkout. And we have one more session. It's a short session. And we'll be done. Uh, But uh, thank you again for being here. Go ahead and check out now, and we'll see you at about 11.20. Thank you. (coughs)